We're going to spend the next two weeks on this really remarkable chapter. We're going to see an incredible transformation over the course of those two weeks. Nebuchadnezzar goes from being an incredibly proud man who's in rebellion against the Almighty and he becomes a humble man who calls on God's name. And there's two things that we're going to see over the course of these two weeks. Tonight we're going to see the king who wouldn't listen. Next week, we're going to see the God who wouldn't stop. But tonight, our sermon title is The King Who Wouldn't Listen. Now, there are some people who never get a chance to hear the gospel. They never hear God's word. They never hear about the the wonderful things that God has done. They never get to see the witness of God's people up close. But King Nebuchadnezzar was not one of those people. Already in this story he has seen the faithful witness of Daniel and his friends. Already God has given him a dream. God has given him a call to repentance. Already Nebuchadnezzar has seen three men surviving a fiery furnace. He has seen the very son of God himself walking around in the flames. And yet... In spite of everything he's seen and everything he's heard, Nebuchadnezzar will not listen. And tonight, I want us to ask, how is it that Nebuchadnezzar managed to see everything he did, he managed to hear everything he did, and yet he still would not bow down before Almighty God? We want to see his stubbornness. And there's two reasons why we want to see his stubbornness. The first reason is that many of us have people we love, members of our family, they're our friends, and they just don't listen. They've heard the truth. They've sat in church. They've spent time in our homes. And yet they still go their own way. And it may well be that as we see Nebuchadnezzar's um, stubbornness this week, and then as we see God's saving grace next week, it may well be that we're encouraged. We're encouraged to keep on praying. We're encouraged to keep on hoping. We're encouraged to keep on looking to their conversion. That's the first reason. The second reason why we want to look at King Nebuchadnezzar is because I am convinced that as we look at his stubbornness, we're going to see something of ourselves. Perhaps some of you listening are not believers. You've had lots of opportunities to hear the gospel. But you're just not willing to bow down before King Jesus. You're not willing to allow him to call the shots. And as we look at this man this evening, as we see how stubborn he was, maybe you will finally see that's what you're doing. That's how you're living. And it's my prayer this evening that God will lead you to cast off your stubbornness. That he will lead you to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive mercy. And even if you are a Christian this evening, I am convinced that you will see something of yourself in this man. Because you're not perfect. You do not follow Jesus Christ with all of your heart. You hold at least something back. 
Sure, there are parts of your life where you're happy to allow Jesus to call the shots. But then there's those other areas of your life. Those areas where you are determined that you're going to hang on and you're going to have your say. You have those sins, don't you? And you couldn't possibly claim that you're doing everything you possibly could to fight and put those sins to death. We can all pray this evening that God the Holy Spirit will use this passage to jolt us and to shake us and to convict us and to drive us into the arms of the Lord Jesus. We can pray that he would use this passage to give us a newfound resolve, a resolve to turn away from sin and to turn to righteousness instead. So this evening we want to look at several different reasons why Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't listen to God's call. And the first reason is this. He was too comfortable for God's word. He was too comfortable for God's word. One of the ways that we struggle when we read the book of Daniel is that we don't really understand what it was like to live in Babylonia. And we certainly don't understand how majestic a city Babylon was. I suppose it was a bit like somewhere like, say, Dubai. Somewhere with breathtaking architecture and somewhere where the buildings were absolutely monumental. We're told in verse 29 that Nebuchadnezzar was on the roof of his palace. Presumably, the palace was a very large building. And I'd imagine that Nebuchadnezzar had a a wonderful vantage point out over the city. And he says in verse 30, these are his words, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as my royal residence, by my mighty power and for the glory of of my majesty. And you know, you wonder, as Nebuchadnezzar said those boastful words, as he was on the roof of his palace, what incredible sights must he have been looking at? I wonder, did he see the city walls? They were 25 feet thick, according to archaeologists. And that was just one set of walls. There were several different sets of walls to make the city as secure as it could possibly be. Or or maybe, from whichever palace he was in, he was able to see one of the other two palaces that he'd built in the city. There were three palaces in Babylon. One of them was so spectacular, it was sometimes called the Marvel of Mankind. Or maybe Nebuchadnezzar saw the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the the seven wonders of the ancient world. They were called Hanging Gardens, by the way, because it was made up of all of these elaborate tears, and it's been described as a remarkable feat of engineering, full of all sorts of exotic plants. In fact, it was so spectacular, it's supposed to have even had waterfalls. Maybe Nebuchadnezzar saw the Ishtar Gate. You can Google it afterwards. I'm sure you'll maybe recognise it as soon as you see it. It was 40 feet tall. It was very distinctive. It had blue glazed bricks. And it had these wonderfully ornate animal decorations on its sides. Babylon 
was a spectacular city. And you know, we read Nebuchadnezzar's words in verse 30 and we're tempted to think, well, he was unbearably smug, wasn't he? But there'll be free reason for smugness. If it wasn't for Nebuchadnezzar, the city would not be the way it was. He had trounced the Assyrians. He had hammered the Egyptians. He had wiped the floor with every nation that stood on his way. He was the great builder of this empire. And now here he is. He's on his roof. He's relaxing. He's chilling out. He's just taking a moment to savour his accomplishments. And why not? He's accomplished so much. Really, he sums it up in verse 4. He says, I was at home in my palace contented and prosperous and in one sense you could say is it any wonder that Nebuchadnezzar was ignoring the word of God comfort was like an anaesthetic it can be that way for us as well it can sedate us it can dull the senses it can blind us and it can cover our ears and We all live in a a prosperous, modern, western society. And, And so I wonder, could it be that you are too comfortable to really listen to God's word? Could it be that your nice house, your stable job, your successful children are like sedatives? Like anaesthetic. Could it be that they are dulling the full force of Christ's call to you? His call to follow him and be a disciple. Could it be that your peace of mind is actually a false peace? If anything, could it be that your peace of mind, your comfort, is keeping you from enjoying true peace? The true peace that only comes when you're walking closely. With the Lord Jesus Christ. Could it be. That you're too comfortable. To hear the word of God. Second thing we see. About Nebuchadnezzar's. Failure to hear God's word. He was too busy. To hear God's word. He was too busy. Now Nebuchadnezzar may have been taking time out. On this particular occasion. But he was a man who had. All sorts of things to keep him occupied. Maybe you could try and imagine some of the really difficult questions that he constantly had to wrestle with. How do I make sure that my empire stays in one piece? How do I stop all of these different races, all of these different nationalities I've conquered? How do I stop them from falling out with each other and tearing one another apart? How do I keep my borders safe? How many armies do I need? How many fortifications do I need to build? What should I do about taxes? Should I raise them so I can start new construction projects? Should I lower them to try and stop people from rebelling? Nebuchadnezzar had an astronomical amount of stuff to deal with. He ran the most successful empire in the whole world. He had all of these plates he had to keep on spinning. And if he was to dilly-dally with any one of those plates, well, you know what would happen, don't you? It would end up smashed on the floor. In a sense, it's no surprise that Nebuchadnezzar was so busy 
that he had pushed God's call to repent to the back of his mind. I think there's a lesson in that for us, isn't there? Busyness can keep you from hearing God's word. Now, I know that things have changed over the last couple of weeks and that's going to be part of next week's sermon. But could it be that you are so busy that you're not listening to Jesus Christ? Is the Lord Jesus calling you to follow him? Is he calling you to repent of some particular sin in your life? Is he calling you to serve him more seriously than you are right now? And yet, is it possible that you are so busy with work or you're busy with home or busy with your family that you never listen to that call? You've got so much work to do and there's only 24 hours in the day to get it done. The kids have to be picked up from school and they go to one group on a Monday, they go to a different group on a Tuesday and of course that's before you even mention the homeworks that they have to keep up with. Maybe you've got elderly parents to care for. Maybe you've got friends to keep up with. There's so, so much to keep you busy. And and there's nothing wrong with those things. In fact, they're good things. They're important things. And yet... Is it possible that your busyness is keeping you from hearing the voice of Jesus? Is it possible that there is so much static in the background of your life that Christ's call to you is being drowned out? How does Jesus speak to you? Well, he speaks to you through his word. And so a question we could ask What does your Bible reading look like? Is it regular? Or is it the sort of thing you only do when you get a chance? And even if your Bible reading is regular, even if it happens every single day, what does that actually mean? Do you take time to read it and chew over what it says? Or is it cursory? Is it all about ticking boxes? Could it be that there are areas of your life or areas of your family life maybe and they're just not right? You're not living the way that Jesus Christ says you should. Could it be that you are like a hamster stuck in a wheel? You're always running. You're never sitting still. And you never stop to listen to what Christ is saying to you. Could it be that your busyness means the fact that you need to repent just won't sink in? Are you too busy to hear the word of Christ? Third thing we see about Nebuchadnezzar's reaction to God's word, he tried to escape from it. He tried to escape from it. Now we're going to see more of this dream next week. But I want us to try and briefly get it into our heads tonight. Uh, We see in verse 10, there is this enormous tree. The tree is so tall that it touches the sky. It is visible from the ends of the earth. Its leaves are beautiful. Its fruit is abundant and it provides food and shelter for all sorts of creatures. Surely it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that this tree must be King Nebuchadnezzar. 
And then in this dream there is a voice from heaven. And the voice says, Cut down the tree. Cut the branches. Take the fruit. And bind the stump with iron. I think it's really pretty obvious. God has got some calamity or other in store for Nebuchadnezzar. And then in verse 15, things get even more clear. But I want you to notice the language changes in verse 15. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. And let him be given the mind of an animal. It couldn't really be more straightforward than that, could it? And yet, notice how irrationally King Nebuchadnezzar responds. He knows exactly who he can turn to, doesn't he? He knows that Daniel has a track record of explaining dreams. He knows that last time around, he asked the astrologers, he asked the sorcerers, he asked the magicians, and not a single one of them could make head nor tail of his dream. He knows that God gave Daniel the ability to tell him what the dream was and what the dream meant. And I wonder, as you read this passage, did you think to yourself, wait a minute, why isn't he sending for Daniel? Why does he summon these sorcerers who, let's face it, they couldn't do diddly squat last time around? doesn't really make a lot of sense, does it? Unless, unless there's a reason Nebuchadnezzar doesn't want Daniel's help. And I wonder, given that it hardly takes a rocket scientist to work out what this dream means, I wonder, did Nebuchadnezzar have a fair idea? Was he worried that Daniel would tell it like it is? Could it be that Nebuchadnezzar was desperately hoping that some of these enchanters or some of these sorcerers would somehow come up with a different answer? Could it be that Nebuchadnezzar's game plan here was to push the voice of Christ out of his mind? Could it be that he was trying to replace it with something else? You know, it reminds me a bit of what uh, the governments in China and North Korea often do. They have these enormous big radio transmitters and the only thing that those transmitters broadcast is music. Really bizarre music. I don't know if you could even call it music to be honest. And they beam out these jarring, clangy tracks or sometimes they beam out just static noises. And sometimes it's buzzes, sometimes it's beeps, but the buzzes and beeps don't actually mean anything. And believe it or not, sometimes some countries actually broadcast the sound of bagpipes. But the reason for that is that they don't want their people to listen to foreign radio stations. They don't want their people to hear the truth about what's been really going on. And so they do what is called radio jamming. They drown out the truth with as much noise as they possibly can. And I wonder, is that what Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do here? He's trying to drown out the truth. But more importantly, I wonder, 
could that be the very thing that you're trying to do? It's certainly something I've seen before. People who run here and they run there and they run everywhere. And they deliberately try to keep themselves as busy as they possibly can. And sometimes the reason why they do that is because God the Holy Spirit has convicted them. He has shown them some area of rebellion within their heart. But they don't want to dwell on it. They don't want to think about it. They certainly don't want to have to put it right. And so they turn up the bagpipes so they don't have to listen to the voice of Jesus Christ. And I wonder, could that be what you're doing? Could it be that you're filling up your calendar with social activity? Just so you don't get left alone to deal with those nagging thoughts. Could it be that you're filling up your day with YouTube or TV or Facebook because you'd rather not have to listen to your conscience? Are you spending hours crafting your persona on Instagram or or diving into your hobby or getting stuck into your exercise regime because it means you don't have to face the facts? Are you trying to escape from God's word? This passage shows us that is a horrible mistake to make. We're going to see next week God has ways and they are painful ways to get around that. The fourth thing we see about Nebuchadnezzar and his reaction to God's word, he responded shallowly to it. He responded shallowly to it. Now I wonder, are some of you maybe a little bit confused? Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well surely Nebuchadnezzar has already repented. He's already worshipped. He has already recognised that God is on the throne. And of course you're right. He did that at the end of chapter 2. After Daniel explained his dream. And he did it as well at the end of chapter 3. After Christ rescued these three men from the fiery furnace. But the problem is it wasn't true repentance. It wasn't repentance that actually stuck. It was dramatic It looked impressive, but if anything, it was actually over the top, wasn't it? And the drama of how Nebuchadnezzar repented, or or seemed to repent, obscured the fact that actually it was only skin deep. It, It didn't really change the way he lived. At least it didn't change the way he lived for long. And so it's important that I ask you this question. Could we say the same thing about you? Maybe there is some area of sin or rebellion in your life. Some aspect of how you live and and you're just not willing to let Jesus Christ call the shots. And yet, you're pulling the wool over your own eyes. You're, You're trying to make up for that area of sin by making up for it in other ways. Maybe you go all out, you you try as hard as you possibly can to tell as many people as you possibly can about Jesus Christ. Maybe you make sure that you're at every service, every midweek, every event that the church runs. 
Maybe you're always asking people how you can pray for them. Or you're always asking people to pray for you. Maybe you are reading and reading and reading different Christian books. Maybe you're always discussing theology. Maybe you're listening to all the sermons and all the podcasts of the day. Those are good things. They're great things in fact. But it's possible to do all those good things and yet at the same time you can hear the call of Jesus Christ to repent and you don't respond. It's possible to overcompensate. It's possible to repent in a way that doesn't actually get to the heart of your sin. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. And the question I have to ask you is this. Is it possible that you're doing the same thing? Is it possible that your repentance is a whole lot more shallow than you'd like to admit? You know, I think if we look at King Nebuchadnezzar, we can see Uh, quite a number of people that we love very dearly. We can see family members, we can see friends, we can see people who have attended our church services. Next Lord's Day evening we're going to see how God didn't give up. And we're going to be reminded there is still hope for those people whom we love so dearly. But as well as seeing other people, As we look at Nebuchadnezzar in this chapter, it's a bit like looking in a mirror, isn't it? We see our own pride. We see our own stubbornness. We see our own need of repentance and we see the ways that we've dodged that repentance. And so I want to urge you this evening, use this passage as a wake-up call. See your need of repentance. And be assured by this passage that the same gracious saviour who offered so much mercy to Nebuchadnezzar, he will offer you that same forgiveness. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord.